Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on a Monday night, a little bit before midnight here on the East Coast. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. What's going on, buddy? How's the trip so far? Well, uh, between the all the you know the the time zone changes and the clock <laughs> change, now you're talking about it being it, it being midnight, and my body has no idea what time it is. So um, you know, it's been a good trip so far. Um, I ate cow balls, uh, as in cow testicles, my first night oh. in um, in Denver. Yeah, uh, Rocky Mountain oysters. Yep, yep, sure did. I Wait. ate them. Uh, tried them. And uh, that's kind of how the trip started. And uh, between that and getting swept in Los Angeles, um, you know, uh, I think that's been the trajectory of, of things. So uh, here we are in Phoenix. Was that a dare, or did you willingly do that? So, I went to this place, and I, I think it's called, it's like the Buckhorn Exchange, or something like that. Okay. I, I, forget the, I, I forget the name, the first part of the name, but it is Denver's oldest restaurant, and my, um, you know, like a family member of mine, like he's actually my godfather, if you will, he was, you know, my dad's best friend or whatever. And, um, he, whenever we go to Denver, uh, you know, he comes in from whatever suburb he lives in and picks me up and takes me to dinner. Uh-huh. And this year we went to this place and this place has Rocky Mountain oysters. And of course he's paying for dinner. Uh, so he says, um, we're getting Rocky Mountain oysters. Oh, and, no. and, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, um, I had to try those, um, they did come with a tartar sauce, which oh, helps. Uh, helps a little bit. Um, but, yeah, that's what I got for you. Uh, oh. cow, cow and how were they? Would, um, you, would you ever eat them were, again? No, I never had anything like that before. I mean, I, you know, I've tried alligator, um, you know, uh, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the same. I didn't actually find this very appealing. Kind of the um, same. How is that the same as, as bull testicles? I don't know. Wait a like, do you ever go, like, well, I don't want to get sued by uh, um, a fast food conglomerate, so I'll leave this out. I'm just saying, if you've seen the videos for how some of the fast food stuff is made, oh. and I know we've all eaten it our whole lives, um, and then you say, well, I can eat that, which is, totally gross and disgusting now that I've seen it, uh, seen the documentaries, or I can try, you know, this Rocky Mountain delicacy, these, uh, yeah. uh, you know, cowboys. And, wow. uh, you know, I just like that I can just keep saying that over and over again. <laughs> was, um, was that it something? It wasn't very good. Okay. I, I, let's just be clear. It wasn't very good. Uh, my dinner was better. I had, uh, I had a, a buffalo bison steak. Okay. Nice. Good. Nice. So, yeah, so, so that part was good. Um, you know, I, I, I'm actually very happy with what I've eaten on this trip overall. Uh-huh. For the most part, it's been healthy, which is good. Um, I just got off to a really bad start with <laughs> Are you the kind of guy, though, who's like, all right, when I travel around the world, because you travel all over the place. And I know when you go to Memphis, you have a spot where you always have to go. Like, are you somebody who is always like, okay, if I'm in New Orleans, I have to find something New Orleans style. And when I go to Denver, I have to eat something Denver style. Mm. Are, are you that mm. kind of guy where you have to dabble in all these different things that, that are very common to where you are? I, I think, first of all, that's a great question. And then secondly, I guess the answer depends, like... In New Orleans, um, I like Creole, but I can't eat seafood, so okay. that limits me. Um, but I always go to uh, Cafe Du Monde and mm. get the, um, you know, to, to steal the, uh, well, I don't steal them, I pay for them, but, but you know, I, I get the uh, beignets. Beignets, yeah. So right, so, I'll, you know, I, I'll do that. Um, I'll also, in New Orleans, they have a place, a chicken place called Willie's Chicken. Mm. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, you gotta gotta hit Willie's. Uh, so, so you know, I, I mean, I I like to do those kinds of things, but 
I can say unequivocally that I did not go to Denver <laughs> with the idea of eating a Rocky Mountain oyster. In fact, I didn't know what they were. So when, when he first messaged me to say that this place has these things, I'm like, oh, well, um, I'm allergic to seafood, uh, but, the, but the restaurant sounds great. And he's like, no, dude, uh, Rocky Mountain oysters. That made me think twice. Like, you know, there, there's probably something wrong with this, and so I should probably Google it. And I was uh, shocked and appalled yeah. as to what those were. And 24 hours later, there you have it. I'm carving in. Oh my gosh! Is is yeah. that is that the strangest thing that you've ever eaten? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. There it is. I can say that it is the craziest, strangest thing I've ever eaten. The the strangest thing I've ever eaten was cactus. Have you ever eaten a cactus? No. Tell me more. Well, um, we were doing our Segway tour, Holly and I and my dad, um, when we went to visit my dad over All Star Weekend, and he lives in Mesa, Arizona. He's been there for about ten years. So every time we go visit him in Arizona, we do something really, really special. So one year it was a trip to Sedona to do the pink Jeep tour around Sedona, which was awesome. Another year it was doing a helicopter over the Grand Canyon, which was a blast, but also kind of freaky when everything just drops from underneath you and it's nothing but canyon. Another time we went to the Super Bowl, which was awesome. Another year it was we played TPC Scottsdale, where they have the waste management and so this year we decided to do a Segway tour and our guide took us and when we got our break after about an hour in on the Segways and we saw a bunch of wild horses and all things like that, uh, we sat down, uh, she grabbed uh, a jumping teddy bear choya or whatever the thing is called, uh, she burned off all of the, the spines on it, uh, started to cut it open and she said, this is how the natives get some nourishment, does anyone want to try it? And I was like, sure, why not? Let me try some cactus. Um, it tasted like grass. <laughs> um, with a little hint of fruit, some kind of fruit. I don't know if it was honeydew, but but everybody that tasted it that was on the tour uh, tasted some kind of fruit mixed with grass. So I wouldn't recommend it, but I felt like really, really naked and afraid style because I was willing to actually eat <laughs> cactus. You know what I mean? That's incredible. That's and you're. I mean, I'm a picky eater. Right. Uh, I've grown. I've grown up over the years, certainly. And then the the fish allergy set me back a bit. But you are a picky eater. Really and, picky. Um, so yeah. So that that I think is is somewhat of a sign of growth that that you would even consider trying this cactus. Yeah, there are very few things that I'll even try. Um, I remember we were at the Italian restaurant uh, in San Francisco last year for the NBA Finals, and there was whatever I ordered, pork something or another, and it was mm -hmm. scallopini or something, right? Isn't that how it was phrased on the menu? Probably. Like, I had to Google that to make sure that wasn't like pork in right. scallop sauce. <laughs> so that's how picky I am as an eater. So I felt really proud of myself that I was actually willing to eat cactus. Well, you don't have to worry because none of us will be having final dinners this year, so <laughs> it's fine. All right. Well, let's just it's jump fine. right into that. I mean, <laughs> here they are on this West Coast road trip, and Joe, they were talking going into this thing. It is so important for us. We're going to get away. We're going to bond as a team, um, and it's six games on the road, probably a pivotal stretch of the season. That's what they were saying going into the road trip. Um, and then they get the win against Denver, and people are like, wow, you know, this is the way to start the road trip. This is the jumping off point for the Cavs. This can be a catalyst to a really good trip for them, a successful trip. And then they have back-to-back -back losses against the Clippers and the Lakers. So what do you make of what you've seen from the Cavs here, not just on this road trip, but this, this version of the Cavs since all the trades and everything that has changed? Well, um... Yeah, I mean, so far, uh, Larry Nance would seem to be um, the best guy they have okay. uh, out of those four. Um, but he is being exposed uh, defensively with no one even remotely resembling a big mm. standing next to him. Um, and they, you know, they just play. They've been playing big guy after big guy. Yep. Uh, and it went okay against the Pistons, um, but. You know, Jokic went for 
36, and then DeAndre went for uh, 20 and 23, oh. and then uh, Julius Randle last night at the four, you know, whether it was Nance or Jeff Green or even Braun a little bit, um, just went crazy, like 36 and 14. And yeah. so the Cavs are just getting gutted in there. Um, you know, I think. I feel like you know what you have with Jordan Clarkson. Um, I don't know how much of an upside he has, but I think he's like a good player. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, I mean, he's, there's a reason he's second in the league in bench scoring, and he he can do that. I, I don't know what his feeling is. Um, and then the Cavs just don't get much from backcourt guys, yeah. um, and and so now you know George Hill's here now, and. Um, He's been inconsistent, and then you know Rodney Hood has been up and down, and then he's, he's hurt now. So, um, so, so that's kind of like the, the the up close view. You know, taking a step back, looking at this team. <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, we were talking off air. Um, they're hurt, so mm-hmm. you don't really know what they are. Um, but the thing that you're starting to see and that you're starting to tell yourself is you watch these games and you watch what happens and you just say, ah, these are not things that a championship contender does. Yeah. Um, they just, they don't get their ass kicked by the Lakers right. like they did last night. Um, same with the Clippers. Uh, the Denver game was a struggle, but, you know, you could say what you want about the altitude and whatever. And so, um, it, it's, it's now, this is kind of another downturn. Like things were so high when they made the trades and won those couple games. And, and then, you know, they were still keeping their head above water. And now they're seven and six since February 8th. Um, six and six. If you take away that Hawks game mm. where LeBron and Corver beat the Hawks on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so that's better than six and thirteen, which is what they were in that stretch, like from Christmas to you know through January or whatever, um, or whatever it was. But but it's it's not you know it's not great. And and I guess the thing you keep saying is they have if you have a rotation of nine guys, currently yeah. four of them are out of the rotation. It's hard to judge anybody that way. Yeah. Um, but so then I guess the best you could say is you don't know what they are. I think that's a fair way to look at it. At the same time, so everybody looks at different things to evaluate teams and how good teams are. Some people look at offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. Some people look at net rating. I think it's interesting. I was looking at point differential today um, because uh-huh. oftentimes that's a good measure. The Cavs are 17th in point differential. 17th wow. in the NBA. I mean, think about that. They were right there, uh, right alongside the New Orleans Pelicans, the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Charlotte Hornets. They are far, far, far away from the Rockets, the Raptors, the Warriors, the Celtics, the Thunder, even the Utah Jazz, Portland Trailblazers, you know, teams along those lines. So, like, I just get into this point, and I know what you're saying about it's very, very difficult to judge this team, and they're missing so many rotation guys and they're missing their second best player, and this is not a team that has ever been built um, to to weather this kind of injury storm, especially when one of them is Kevin Love. Um, but I just look at this team, and it's like, are we just considering them, you know, championship contenders by name alone at this point? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that that I think that we are. Um, I also think, you know, in fairness to him, I think LeBron has earned that. Okay. Um, and and so, okay. And, and he does have Kevin here, and he does still have two other guys that were part of all three of the runs. And together, um, that group has done some pretty extraordinary things in the playoffs. So, right. So, so they they have earned some benefit. But I think what you and I are both getting at is we we are reaching a point where what you're seeing. Um, just doesn't look like a team that is going to the finals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, there's always time. There's a long time to go between now and, and June. A lot of things that can happen, but, th- like, you know, th- th- there's just been 
far more inconsistency this year than consistency and just problems galore. And they're problems that no one else that we're talking about as, as potential finals team even remotely has dealt with this right. year. Right, and I think the thing that keeps jumping out at me, Joe, is um, we continue to talk about the Eastern Conference and say, you know, there there really isn't that one team, or at least we did at the beginning of the season. You know, there really isn't that one team that jumps out at you um, that can really compete with the Cavs and contend with the Cavs. That that was the thought at the beginning of the season. I think enough games have been played to this point. And we're far enough along, and we've gotten a vision of who a lot of these teams are around the NBA. I think we're far enough along where we can take what we thought at the beginning of the season and throw it to the side and just evaluate what we've actually seen. And just because of past history, that's not a determination of what's going to happen in the future. And what I'm getting at here is the Toronto Raptors are probably the best team that LeBron James is going to face in the Eastern Conference since he's been on the streak of consecutive finals appearances. And conversely, I think this version of the Cavs, even if they all get healthy, right? Rodney Hood comes back, Jetty comes back, Kevin Love comes back. This version of the Cavs is probably the worst group that LeBron has had over the last seven years. So when you combine the fact that they're up against this Raptors team that is one of the best teams in the NBA, not just the best team in the Eastern Conference, one of the best teams in the NBA, probably closer to the Warriors and the Rockets than they are to the Cavs at this point, and what the Cavs simply don't have on this roster to fix by the end of this season, like it just doesn't point to success when it's talking about a playoff run. Yeah. Um, and then if you even think about, like, the in 2015, uh, the Hawks won 50 games. Right. And the Hawks won the East. It wasn't the Cavs. Right. Um, but, but the major whopping difference is that the Cavs played great in March and April and, 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 fe- and February. Yeah. Um, and, and were just smashing teams getting ready for the playoffs. So, yeah. They didn't catch the Hawks, and they were several games behind them. But the Cavs had all this momentum going in. Um, that's not going to be the case now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to have that. Um, and I was having this discussion with somebody else today because um, this person was saying, well, you know, the, the thing about the Cavs is they always they turn it on when they have to and they turn it on in the playoffs. And, and I had to correct them and say, listen, um, that was true mm-hmm. with the group that was here for the last three years. Right. But, but that group's gone. Yeah. Um, th- <laughs> there's only four of them left, and two of them are playing really nowhere near w- what they have been. Hmm. Um, it, it, you know, in, in JR mm-hmm. and, and Tristan. I mean, Tristan was better lately before he got hurt, but, but both of them, numbers wise and production wise, just not close. To, uh, to to what, where they were at their best. So now you're talking about LeBron and Kevin. I mean, there's no Kyrie. Um, you know, there's no Richard Jefferson. There's no uh, just you know you go on Channing. You know, you got you've gone down the line of all these players that they had that um, were part of that culture where you know we know how good we are and we can turn on when we have to. Mm-hmm. This team, this team doesn't know. Right. You know. Larry and Jordan have never played in the playoff. Right. Um, Rodney's been in one playoff, and it was a disaster for him. And and George Hill, you know, is different. He's been through the wars, um, but but he's new to the team. So, you know, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of unknown. Um, I guess the reason why it's still smarter to say there's unknown instead of saying, listen, this isn't happening for this uh-huh. group. Uh-huh. It's just they do have LeBron. Yep. And if Kevin comes back and is and is the player that he was, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's. I mean, those two together won eighteen out of nineteen, thirteen in a row. Yeah. Um. So it's like, like all isn't lost yet. Um. But it's. But I think, I think a lot of people in the league, not just you and I, are looking at this. And just saying, ah, you know, there are some serious red flags here. 
So the other thing is, and you brought up LeBron. Everybody goes to, well, playoff LeBron. Talk to me in April, May, June, because LeBron takes his game to another level. And I'm not doubting that he can do that or anything. But I think that kind of conversation, having that conversation this year, requires a little bit of perspective because of what he has done this year for the Cavs in terms of points, assists, shooting percentage, three-point percentage. Um, his numbers across the board, Joe, they are as good as they've ever been for LeBron. You know, 27 points per game. He's one of the league leaders in assists this year. Um, his rebounds are right around nine. His three-point percentage has hovered um, right around 38, 39, 40% for a majority of this season. He's been ultra-efficient, 54% from the field. So I guess my big question is, like, how much better can you get of LeBron James when you're talking about the postseason? Well, right. And then, you know, the other thing that we were talking about before we started um, recording, along these lines is, so LeBron's having this great year. Yes. Um, maybe as great as, he, as he's ever had by himself. Um, and and yet the Cavs are losing more games than they have uh, at any point when he's been here. Right. And Le- LeBron's own plus minus is underwater. Yeah. Um, the, the Cavs have been outscored by 26 points this year when he is on the court. You know, he's played every game. So he's played in 66 games. Um, the only time this has ever happened was his rookie year. The Cavs were outscored by 144 points um, with him on the floor. Mm-hmm. And so what this tells me is, for the first time in a long time, LeBron is not the tide that lifts all boats. Um, the Cavs have been, even when they had a killer like Kyrie alongside him, um, there's, this team has always been flawed. There's always things that this team has done that that's wrong in a way that the Warriors don't do. Right. You know, maybe the Spurs don't do. So, and, and you know, you're only talking about a couple teams, but that that's the air that the Cavs have breathed for the last the last three years. But they have always been more flawed, and the mistakes get covered up by LeBron. Yes. And this year, that is not happening, and I I can't explain it. So I'm sorry to the listeners ahead of time. <laughs> I don't. I don't have it. I, I don't know why this is. I can just tell you that it's happening. Yeah. That he that this time he is not uh, he's not able to um, make up for enough of the Cavs' mistakes for enough of their deficiencies. So I don't know if that speaks to how grossly um, inadequate the roster turned out to be uh, compared to what they're used to, or if. LeBron, if he's slowed down, and so yeah. like maybe he doesn't play with as much force as he used to, so the numbers are there, but the impact is different. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just and that is something else that's really concerning. And you you brought it up. Like there's there's this LeBron playoff LeBron phenomenon, but what what is that really going to mean? You know, like how is that going to be different from what we're seeing now? I think it's a good point. I think it's something worth considering. And I think another thing to consider here is I love Kevin Love as a basketball player, especially his fit on this team. I think he brings so many things that are hard to quantify with his floor spacing, with his rebounding, with his basketball IQ, with his ability to score inside and outside, his ability to exploit mismatches when teams switch. There's so many valuable things to Kevin Love. Um, and this is not a knock against him by any means, but but I think the view of Kevin Love has always been through the prism of third option on a championship team. And I think if you asked a majority of teams around the NBA, hey, would you take Kevin Love as your third option on a championship team and take your chances and feel good about your chances? I think a majority of teams would say yes, Joe. Maybe the only one that wouldn't would be Golden State at this point. Um, but that's not who he is anymore for this team. That's not who he can be anymore. They always looked at him as that third option and probably one of the best third options in the NBA. But now you're talking about him being your second option in a playoff series against Toronto with Lowry DeRozan or in uh, an NBA Finals matchup against Golden State or Houston or Oklahoma City. I just, I just think it changes the view of this team when you look at it that way. Well... I, I mean, I guess. I, I, I mean, I think 
if, if that's the discussion you're going to have, then you're now you're talking about trading Kyrie, um, which uh, obviously they have not recovered from. Um, they they just they failed there. Um, I, I'm okay with Kevin in that role in, in the second option role. Um, I think if you look at the record, at LeBron and Kevin's record together, um, I think it's very good without Kyrie. And, uh, and I think that, like, for, cause just listening to you kind of explain that before you ultimately said you didn't like him in this role. Um, all the things that Kevin does, like, assuming he was out there, like, had he played, um, and played at a reasonable level this yeah. week, they would have probably won both of those games. He, he would have been the answer for what both the Clippers and the and the Lakers did to the Cavs. Both mm-hmm. teams switched everything right. all night. Um, they had these big camps out in the middle. Um, they didn't who didn't have to go out and chase anyone. Um, Kevin just changes all that. Yes, so that opens the lane for LeBron. I agree with that. <clears throat> uh, Clarkson, you know, get Rodney, you know, whatever. So, so I think he helps, um, and, and I think he's I think he's okay. There, I just the the thing that, that worries me more so than Kevin being my second option is um, the backcourt. They, they just yeah, they're not. It's just not happening. Um, <clears throat> you know, you you can't get outscored the way that those backcourt guys are getting outscored, and it still happens. Uh, it's still happening now that they've traded Isaiah, and, and you know, I mean, Jr. still getting blown out, and, and George Hill most nights is. is is being outscored and it's just it's not a it's, it's, it's that's tough to come back from so with kevin as the number two option who's the third now is it larry nance jr is it george well, hill I, is it committee yeah it's just i mean that's the company line anyway that it's that it's committee hmm. um you know and i think we've made the point to them and they agree that they don't have a big three anymore and so Right. The whole way that they've won all these playoff games and gone to all these finals is is gone. Um, you know they're not set up that way anymore, and so they understand that. They know they have to win differently, um, and I think that the reason for optimism is that they they think and George Hill counts in this that that they can defend differently now um, than they could before, and they're faster than they were before. And so if you throw that in there with the skill that Kevin brings, um, you know, they, they feel like they'll be okay. But, um, you know, it's just, Gosh. It's, uh, I mean, they've lost four out of six, man. Like yeah. that, you know, who does that? Like, you know, the, the Warriors don't do that. The Rockets don't do that. Like, I mean, I think the Spurs did it once. Um, yeah, I mean, they've had a tough year, but, you know, uh, I don't know. Do the Blade, the Raptors certainly don't lose four out of six. Celtics don't lose. I mean, nope. it's it's incredible. Um, you know, the one the the difference is uh, <laughs> none of those guys have have LeBron, right? Um, and not you know, so it's 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 an unmatched track record, and so they get the benefit until they prove that they didn't deserve it, and that's that's in the playoffs. Yeah, and obviously the time thing, that plays into it. The chemistry thing plays into it. More practice time together. They're going to get more familiar with each other. Maybe communication's going to improve. Maybe knowledge of the system is going to improve, so the offense is going to flow better, and maybe the defense isn't going to be exposed as much. But I feel like, Joe, like a lot of these things that they're coming up with, that that they're um, saying about some of their own internal struggles... I feel like I'm hitting a record button on what they said at the beginning of the season and playing it back right now. Um, And I feel like there's a little bit of denial going on here. The the idea that George Hill and and they can defend better because of him and things like that, that was nice, and it was nice in theory, and we talked about all of those reasons why it would have been logical to think that would have happened. But it hasn't happened They're still one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. They're still one of the worst pick-and-roll defenses in the NBA, and that's what a lot of the game is right now. And George Hill, who, look, he's not as bad as Isaiah Thomas. Nobody's going to say that. He is still one of the worst defensive point guards in the NBA, and his defensive rating, his individual defensive rating, I looked this up, um, 
it has gotten worse since he came here to the Cavs. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, because we were thinking, hey, you know, this guy's going to be renewed with focus and energy and commitment because he's no longer in Sacramento, right? And all of that stuff was logical to think, and it just hasn't materialized. Well, I mean, the thing with George, I mean, <laughs> he had a significant toe injury last year, mm. and, and th- there were um, discussions in the league that it never really got better. Mm. Um, he denied that. Uh, you know, the Cavs front office denied that. Um, gave a different explanation for what was going on with his toe and just everything that was happening in Sacramento. Um he gets here, and he's not making the threes that he was making. And, um, you know, obviously the defensive struggles there are, are, are real. Um, so, you know, so, so then, I mean, you, you ask the question, well, is his is toast? What's going on with his toe? Or, I mean, is he just, you know, on the back nine? Like, what's, what's going on? Um, you know, he's had some good games. Right, he's had a couple. I had to agree with that. He's, he's had a couple. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been tough, but, um, you know, trying to play without Kevin and then a second big like Tristan is tough, and then, you know, the, the injuries to these two wings, you know, the way, especially with the way Ty uses Jetty and then and Rodney Hood, that's just, that. <laughs> that, that really that was just, that was a tough one. Tough to go there. Before we get into the questions, because a lot of people send in questions on Twitter, um, I want to get into just the environment, the atmosphere. Two games, Los Angeles. Everybody knows the LeBron billboards. Everybody knows the story that hovers over every time he visits Los Angeles. They had the Clippers, the Lakers back to back. Um, beyond their performance on the court, which probably did no favors to the Cavs in terms of keeping LeBron long-term. Um, what was the vibe like in Los Angeles? Take me into the arena with the atmosphere and the buzz. Well, I, I, first of all, um, you can never compare a Clipper game and a Laker game. Okay. So even though they're both in the same building, yeah. um, with the people who live in the same general you know, area codes, zip codes, um, it's it's totally different. Okay. So you almost throw out like whatever was going on Friday night. Okay. Um, last night was you know just like it always is with these Laker games. I mean, just all kinds of stars surrounding the floor. Um, Adam Levine, Jack Nicholson, of course. <laughs> um, all those you know, uh, Floyd Mayweather. Yep. Those the Laker and Clipper games all the time. Um. Just all those types, all those types, right in front of us. The the writers was Todd Gurley uh, of the Rams, mm-hmm. um, you know LeBron's team of Rich Paul, Maverick Carter, and Paul Wachter, uh, the finance guy. They were all sitting in front of us, um, and you know the, you didn't really have like chance. And actually, LeBron got a call um, in his favor, and the the Laker crowd went nuts. <laughs> uh, against them, um, but you just, you know, like a, the the thing about about the about the Lakers uh, with LeBron, you know, on the one hand, yes, he has a home there. Yes, it, the the weather is ridiculous, um, and his, you know, he like a lot of his business interests are run out of there. Yeah, but then beyond that, it's just cool. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I agree. <laughs> It's a cool. It's just cool. It's a cool place to play. The Laker home games are just awesome. The the atmosphere, the environment, the buzz in the arena. It doesn't matter if it's because LeBron's going to be a free agent or whatever. It was like that way when Kobe was there. Yes. Um. It's just awesome. And so, I mean, it's the like, freaking Lakers. If you think about it, it's the yeah. Lakers. It's the purple and gold. It's one of the best organizations, one of the best franchises in the history of the league. Yeah. It's cool. It's just cool. Um, but there was a point brought up today, I think it was on the jump. Okay. Um, you know, I think it was with Rachel Nichols was saying this, that uh, when you talk about LeBron and yeah. you talk about the Lakers, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's not about that. It's not about, well, what, what did the Lakers do? Yes. Um, 
it, it, it's about how competitive are the cats. And so that's why this was a bad weekend for, right. them, for them. Not because the Lakers, you know, looked competent or whatever, uh, or because there were a couple movie stars sitting there courtside. It was because the Cavs looked ridiculous. And LeBron's 33, and he wants to, like, winning is, like, all he wants to do. Like, that's all that's left. Um, you know, he's done everything else you can do in this sport. Um, so he wants to win. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's probably looking, I think the whole time, he's been looking for a reason to stay. I agree. Um, but if if this team is just not going to be competitive, right? Um, and, and listen, just so we're fair here, I mean, he would have some culpability in that. Uh-huh. Because... <laughs> This is his team, and, you know, he, he didn't play well in January, and, and he didn't bother to, to defend in January. Um, so that played a role in this, but, you know, it's about how competitive is your roster. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if this just, if what we're starting to see now is, is who the Cavs are and it's not explainable by injury, um, then that is what's bad for his future I agree. Uh, in, in Cleveland and not, you know, like we said, not the glitz and glamour of L.A. Yep. And I think the other thing, I keep going back to this, um, beyond the things that we talked about with the Lakers, Joe, I feel like they're very Clevelandy when LeBron decided to come back in 2014. And I know that part of the reason why he came back was the off-the-court stuff and just Cleveland tugs at his heart in a way that no other city does. And him winning a championship in Cleveland was bigger than if he would have won a third one in Miami. But just, like, look at that Cleveland team when he decided to come back. Like, yes, they had Kyrie, and he was a proven all-star, and he was somebody that uh, LeBron felt like would have been very, very good for him as a running mate. Um, But aside from that, it was Deion Waiters, it was Tristan Thompson, it was Andrew Wiggins with the first overall pick. A lot of young guys that they had accumulated because they had a bunch of draft picks and because they spent a lot of years losing. Like, that's the Lakers, in a way, with cap space on top of that. Um, So I've always looked at the Lakers as kind of like a combination of Miami and Cleveland from the standpoint of the cap space that they have, the ability to sign another max player, and I think Paul George is getting closer and closer to Los Angeles by the day because the Oklahoma City Thunder continue to fade and continue to show flaws. So them being this quote-unquote championship team, I think it's hard to get to that level when the Rockets and the Warriors have distanced themselves. So I think Paul George becomes more feasible for the Lakers this offseason. And then you talk about those young, talented players that they have. And I don't say that anybody's Kyrie necessarily, um, but but there are some talented youngsters there that can either grow, that have shown uh, growth already, or that could be used in a package for um, a different player the way that the Cavs use some of their young pieces for Kevin Love. So I, I just, I've never wanted to eliminate the Lakers because I think there are a lot of things that make a lot of sense in terms of team building. And Miami wasn't a finished product when LeBron decided to go there. They built it in one off season, and the Cavs certainly weren't a finished product when LeBron decided to come back in 2014. They spent that summer basically retooling the roster around him and turning them into a championship contender. And then they continued to make moves into January with J.R. Smith and Mon Shumpert and Timofey Mozgov. So because the Lakers aren't a finished product, I don't think that eliminates them. I don't think it ever has eliminated them. I think teams can change quickly overnight in the NBA. And we see that every single offseason. Yeah, I I think the conventional wisdom when you talk about this, um, about why he doesn't go to the Lakers, is because no matter what they do, um, they wouldn't be able to, on paper, build a team that would compete with um, Golden State and Houston. Mm -hmm. And so if winning is what's important to him and getting to the finals is what matters to him, um, why would you go to a conference and and pick a team that at best is going to be third? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that that's true long-term. I mean, you know, the Warriors are one, you know, turned ankle from Steph or or KD, you know, from being really vulnerable this year Mm -hmm. uh, to the Rockets, to the Rockets. I mean, 
Um, so the same thing could be true next year. Um, they're, you know, they're probably not going to stay together forever. You know, I think there's a, a, a there's going to come a time when they move on from either Draymond or, or Clay. Um, and it's harder to pay everybody. So I don't know. Is LeBron still going to be there when that happens? I'm not sure. Right. Uh, if we're talking Lakers. So, you know, I, 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 I think, I still think that that is an, an issue for the Lakers and for LeBron. Like, does he want to go to the West uh, against a team that's not going to be able to run with these other two? Um, but, you know, the, the, the Lakers do have upside, for sure. Yep. Um, okay, moving on to questions. You ready for these? Oh, I always am ready for these. <laughs> Tim, a loyal listener to the podcast, wants to know. Great. Uh, Thanks. David Griffin, former Cavs general manager, he was on a podcast recently. And he said, quote, schematically, the Cavs may be in a situation now where Ty Lue has to take back control of the defense himself. Um, what do you make of those comments by Griff? And uh, do you believe that Ty um, will take over the defense again in the playoffs if it doesn't happen before the end of the regular season? Well, I mean, like, that is, let's see, how, how do I explain this? Um, it, it's it's not so much that Ty, quote, takes over the defense. Okay. He's more uh, involved. It, 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 this, is, this is what this is. In the playoffs, okay, you're playing one team up to seven times. Yes. So you go home at night for several days before the start of the series, and you watch all their games, mm-hmm. and you draw up all this stuff, and, and you... Um, and then in between the games, the adjustments you make are for this one team. And so that is the only, that is, that becomes Ty's like sole focus and responsibility. So in essence, yes, he takes over the defense, but it's much more about playing one team with multiple days in between these games. It becomes the head coach's priority to game plan specifically to beat these certain teams and exploit certain things. Ty uh, is can is excellent at that, and he has proven to be that. Um, you know, for all you Ty haters out there, like that, that's true. He he throughout his career has shown to do this very well in the playoffs. Um, when we're in the we're, when we're in an eighty-two game slog and, and the games are every other day, you know, the, the, there's just no time for that. And yeah. So you have this guy, Mike Longabardi who it's his job to watch the defense and to try to make tinker, you know, to tinker with this and that with the players and the calls and whatnot over the course of the regular season. Um, and that's what's been happening. Uh, Ty is as loyal as they come. Um, he's not going to fire his guys and he's not going to replace his guys. So um, I don't, I don't think you're going to see anything like what Griff's talking about during the regular season. Um, I would be surprised. And then, you know, in the playoffs, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be because of just the nature of the series and not because Ty's seen enough of their failed defense with Longo. Makes sense. Uh, Sean, is JR going to go to the bench when Rodney Hood is healthy? I feel like we get this question every single week. <laughs> we, we do. Um, I, I mean... I think Cavs fans have had enough of J.R. Smith at this point. That's That's what I'm getting out of these questions. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and then I, I, I think I think so. I, I you know I I think the answer is probably. I mean you know we've discussed this so many times. Um, yeah. But yeah, just it seems like that would be the idea. I would agree. Uh, Michael says, "Hey, you guys, with all these injuries, uh, could the captain sign Gerald Henderson? He played pretty well last I saw him." He's at least a wing athlete that could defend and play minutes until Hood is healthy. I can answer this. He had hip surgery that was supposed to cost him all season. So, no. <laughs> I, guys, I think Rodney played Tuesday. Okay. Um, That's good. You know, if not Tuesday, then Thursday. Like, he's all right. You know, I, I, I just with the tax implications, I mean, as long as Rodney's okay, I, I don't know about this, uh, you know, what they're going to do with these roster spots. Should LeBron start resting? That comes from Ebb on Twitter. I don't think so. Um, mm. I, I they, they need to win some of these games. Yeah. Um, they, they need to be in the top four. 
Uh, I think it's a little foolish when LeBron talks about just get me into the tournament. Um, and and uh, I think seeding does matter and who they play matters. And so, you know, they're fourth at this moment. They need to get back into third. Um, you know, obviously, they're not going to catch uh, the first and second place teams yeah. now, I don't think. Although, the Celtics are pretty banged up. Yes, they um, are. Big time injuries. True, but, geez, there's only, uh, there's just not that many games left. Yeah. So, I, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think the other thing is Rodney Hood still needs to learn how to play alongside LeBron. Same thing with Clarkson. Same thing with George Hill. And, you know, these guys playing games and getting reps with LeBron not practicing or LeBron not playing games, I don't know what they really learn. I think chemistry is something that they need to build, and the only way they can build it is on the court together. So I think in some cases in the past, you know, the Cavs had the freedom really to rest LeBron towards the end of the season. I just think with the overhauled roster and some of the stuff that they're trying to answer going into the postseason, I don't know that they have the freedom to do that anymore. Right. So this one uh, comes from Brian. He says, why is the Cavs defense so bad? Is it scheme? Is it they don't have good enough players? What's going on with the defense? It's been a problem for years. Boy, that, that is a fascinating <laughs> question. Um, and, and, and it's a combination of things. They, they do seem to struggle schematically. Um, they, they, and even JR has alluded to it. Yep. JR has said that, that we are not a team that should be going under uh, on screens, that we give up a lot of threes when we do that because we just don't make it back to the shooter for whatever reason. And yet, often they still go under. That's a coaching problem, if that's true. Um, but there's also, they've just been horrendous with effort. Yeah. Um, at times, and that that you know starts with LeBron. Um, so, and then this year they were particularly bad um, in terms of how they were set up on the roster to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean Isaiah Thomas is a historically bad defender. Um, Derrick Rose is no good, uh, and it just kind of goes from there. You know, Kyrie never played any defense while he was here, so that's hurt them as well. Um, so, now the thing is, that was supposed to change, as we've already said, with yep. the addition of these four guys. They've had some tough nights, so, um, so I think it's a mixture. Um, final question before we get out of here. Uh, I know we touched on this a little bit. It's, it's hard to gauge uh, who they're going to sign with these open two roster spots and what exactly they're going to do, but phrasing it a different way. Terrell says, what's holding the Cavs back from signing someone? So what's holding them back is that they're so far over the salary cap that anything, any money they take on, which would only be, you know, in the six figures, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that that actually gets smaller, (coughs) excuse me, with every game, um, they would still have to pay tax implications for spending money over over the salary cap. So they're basically trying to save upwards of a million if not more dollars that they'd pay in luxury taxes for players who let's be honest wouldn't get a lot of playing time like as, as much as like the fan out there is so desperate for the Cavs to get back to the finals and, and as they should be mm-hmm. um, and, and, and like like you and I the, the fans are seeing the same thing they don't they don't see it with this roster so you say well what my god what else can they do who can come in you know but the buyout player is not the answer. Right. The buyout player is not going to win you yeah. the finals. Um, and so, you know, why spend that money for players who aren't going to play? Now, that was certainly the idea before Jetty got hurt. He's going to be out two weeks. But so, so if, you, if you spend that money, I mean, are you going to get more than what John Holland's going to give you over the next couple of weeks? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Um, and then in the meantime, Kevin and Tristan are going to be back and, and Rodney's going to be back. So that's why, because it's expensive and because you'd be paying for somebody who's not going to play. I, I fully expect them to fill both roster spots as we get down to like the last day or two of the regular season because you want maximum amounts of players to practice. Yeah. Um, and so they will do that. I, I'm, I'm almost sure they will. I don't have a name for you because the last couple of years they didn't go 
with like the more accomplished player. They went with Dante Jones, who was a veteran who fit in in the locker room and, and could do a couple things for them specifically. Um, but they've done it. They're going to do it again. Uh, I just don't. I don't think it's coming this week. Um, you know, I guess we'll see what happens tomorrow. All right, great. Now that you're in Phoenix and you're heading to Portland, no more weird foods like uh, cow bowls, okay? That's that's no. done, that's over with, that's in the past. I, I blame you for this bad road trip to this point because you got it off to a terrible start in Denver. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I take some responsibility for this. Um, we also, you know, in Denver, shoot-around was very late. So oh. we, all, we had all night in, in Denver oh, to... Boy. to um, to go and, and get loose, you know, and, and be able to sleep to sleep, and we did it. Um, we did not. Nobody did anything. What? So yeah, nobody did a thing. Oh. Um, there was no. So really, uh, it, it was a very strange start to the trip. Um, and I, yeah, you, you could blame us as much as anybody. I'm sure you're going to make up for it. St. Patrick's Day yeah. in Chicago, like you've got to make up for it then, right? Well, I don't know, man. I mean. At the end, you know, we we, uh, we saw the bright lights of LA. I'll uh, say that. Uh, the, did you do uh, it? Did you do anything that that crazy in LA? Well, I mean, I mean, it's LA. Yeah, we saw the bright lights of LA. It was, uh, it was a good, good. You know, it's a great time out there. I mean, but um, you know, I, I can promise unequivocally there will be no more cow festival. Okay, good. Uh, Biggest celebrity that you ran into during this trip in L.A.? Eddie? Well, I just saw... I, I just watched uh, Princess Bride with my family before we left oh, on this trip. Okay. And so um, I walked right by Billy Crystal at the, at the Clipper game. Oh, nice. And I just wanted to, like, grab him and say, mostly dead. Because uh, <laughs> that, that's one of my favorite parts of, of, um, of Princess Bride. Uh, but he, you know, I let him... I let him I didn't bother him. That's what we do. We will leave it there, my man. Enjoy the rest of the trip, bud. All right. Thanks, man. See ya.